Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Yes, Christ remains risen, and we continue to celebrate the resurrection in this season of Easter. Of course, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord every Sunday. That's what is the Lord's Day. It is a mini-Easter every Sunday throughout the year. Last week, we saw that Jesus and Mary, uh, Jesus told Mary to go and tell his brothers that he had risen from the dead to go to Galilee, and that he would meet them there. And in our gospel lesson today, we see the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus came to the disciples, into their midst, to those who had abandoned and betrayed him. Remember that. They had abandoned and betrayed him. And yet he said he goes to his brothers. He died for their sins also. He also appeared to Thomas, who was disbelieving. He didn't abandon Thomas, nor did he forsake him. But he came and appeared to to Thomas and worked faith in him that Thomas might believe and be saved. John tells us in the gospel that we read this morning that all of these things have been recorded in the gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the very purpose of this gospel, that all of these things are written that we might believe that, he, that Jesus is the Christ. Now, Jesus not only appeared to his disciples, his brothers, to reconcile them and to work faith in them, but he also called them into service. Peace be with you, he said. As the Father has sent me, so even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So here Jesus called the apostles into the ministry of reconciliation. They, uh, the apostles, have been reconciled to God. They have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which notice of the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, as we say in the Creed, and as you see in this passage here, that Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on them. And they have been given the office of the keys, as we call it, which is the, the uh, resource, if you will, uh, that they may and shall forgive sins. Not just preach forgiveness of sins, but forgive sins. The office of the keys refers to this ministry of reconciliation, that is the forgiveness of sins. Now, there's also the withholding of forgiveness, but always the withholding of forgiveness has as its aim achieving repentance and ultimately forgiveness. So forgiveness is never withheld capriciously. It was never intended to be withheld capriciously. The desire of every faithful Christian is to Give forgiveness to people that are in need. But if somebody doesn't see that they're in need of forgiveness, then it's not right to give them forgiveness. It's right to withhold the forgiveness until they are ready to receive it. Otherwise, it's just that they're not going to receive it. All right, now if you would, you can, if you would like to, you can turn to page 167 in your hymnal. You know it by heart, so you don't have to. 
But this is the beginning of our divine service setting too, which is the one we use now. And you'll see the words of our confession, which are very familiar to everyone, and the words of absolution, which the pastor speaks to you, quote, as a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority. Now, there are many people who object most strenuously to this part of our service. Who is the pastor to forgive sins? That's not right. I don't need the pastor to forgive my sins. Jesus forgives my sins. Yeah, okay, fine. But in John 20, when Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, if you forgive the sins of any, he gave the office of the keys to the church. When he, when he gives this to the apostles, he's giving it to the church, those who will carry the apostles' doctrine. And so we, in faithfulness to this word of God, we stand in the stead and by the command of Christ and say, your sins are forgiven. And, it, you know, when we use corporate confession, as we did on, uh, was it the Easter Vigil? Yeah, the Easter Vigil. We use the corporate confession. And we use it sometimes. We use it on Ash Wednesday also. When we use the corporate confession, the question is asked, do you believe that the word of forgiveness is not mine, but Christ's word spoken to you? You know, that's a, that is a part of it, that that it is, you know, that we believe and confess based on the words of Scripture and the teaching of Scripture, that it is not me, the pastor, speaking those words to you, but speaking in the stead of Christ, but that it's actually Christ's word to you saying you're forgiven. So, uh, and by the way, in the hymnal, you'll notice, there's one thing I love about our hymnal is that there are Scripture verses everywhere telling any naysayer, any gainsayer uh, against our liturgy who would speak against it and the way we uh, observe, um, you know, this, the, the traditional liturgy of the church, there's scripture passages throughout. And here you'll see John 20 is quoted here. That's, that's why we have this confession and absolution. So the apostles were commissioned by Christ to this ministry of reconciliation and that brings us to our lesson from Acts 5, which is really what I wanted to uh, preach on today. And we begin in verse 29 in our lesson today. But for a moment, I want to go back to verse 20, because it's going to give us context for what is said in verse 29. The, the apostles had been arrested and put in prison by the high priest and the Sadducees, who the, script, the, the passage tells us were jealous of the many signs and wonders that they were performing in the name of Jesus. While they were in prison in the night, an angel came to the apostles in prison and opened the doors and released them. And the angel said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. The apostles then obeyed God's command, which was given by the angel. And they were then the next day preaching in the temple. So then they were again brought before the high priest to answer as to why they continued preaching, even though it had been forbidden by the high priest and the council. And this provides the necessary context to Peter and the other apostles answer, which is we must obey God rather than men. And indeed, this is a popular subject nowadays. That's why I wanted to talk about it. We see in oppressive government 
asserting itself more and more into our lives, government which is increasingly Marxist and anti-Christian. Not just the government, we see large corporations spreading woke ideology, not responding to cultural pressure, not like the cultural pressure is pushing them to adapt their messaging or something, but they're actually activists in this, in spreading lies and untruths. Most recently and most comically, we see the example of Bud Light. Um, They learned a valuable lesson in this regard. They uh, misread their customers. They failed to consider the response that would come from their genius marketing scheme of using a tranny with five o'clock shadow to brand their, their product. Their prior branding was out of touch were their words, according to their marketing genius that came up with the new branding. Well, that fresh new insight that they had cost them a huge drop in their stock prices, five billion and counting. And then there were also uh, Bud Light trucks out, not making deliveries, but picking up deliveries and taking them back because they can't move it off the shelves. It's a, uh, a wake-up call to them. The reason I bring this up, though, is to show that it's not the corporations being pressed into a a woke ideology. This is a corporation actually expressing itself in a way that's uh, coercive, you know, pressing upon the culture, their ideal of what things should be and how it ought to be. It's their own truth with a lowercase t that they're pushing. Now we have government-run schools that continue to draw the ire of parents and citizens. Vocal, very vocal lately. Many years ago, there was a debate about the theory of macroevolution. Should it be taught in schools or not? Of course, it is directly contrary to the scriptures, and so people objected to it. Nevertheless, that that was lost. And now, not only is a theory of evolution taught, but it's actually taught as fact, as though this is actually what it is, and you're an ignorant rube if you think otherwise. You know, this this is promoted and taught that way. Me, I'm just an ignorant doofus because I believe that, you know, if God wanted to create the earth in 6,000, you know, that's only 6,000 years old, that looks 6 billion or 6 trillion or whatever, he could have done it. You know, oh, he could have made the earth in minus six seconds or six days. But he says six days, so I'll go with six days. But that makes me ignorant, you know, in, in, the, in the eyes of the, the world around. There was, uh, there have been also debates about um, uh, the Ten Commandments. Should the Ten Commandments be posted in the school, you know, or in the courthouse? How about prayer in school? That's a big discussion. Or prayer before a sporting event? That's gone to the Supreme Court recently. Always the government's position, though, is to deny Jesus Christ. It is to deny that Jesus of Nazareth, a true historical person, is the Son of God and that by believing in his name, you have eternal life. This is indeed the central message of the Christian church, and yet it is denied outright in the schools. Even the very objectivity of male and female now is being denied. 
God created them, male and female. Jesus said that. Have you not read that God created them, male and female? And yet that has been rejected by our government. I mean, really, like, (laughs) in the face of these issues comes the battle cry of the apostles. We must obey God rather than men. And now I want to pause and go back to the context and encourage you to consider this battle cry. I do want you to take it seriously. And I want you to apply it properly to your circumstances in life. Now, clearly, when there is a direct contradiction between God's command and the command of men, we must obey God. No question. But I will also say that not every objectionable decision of the government is a cause for civil disobedience. There is a cause for discernment. We have to be discerning and thoughtful about this. Is it disobeying God to pay your taxes? Oh, that, they're, they're wasting money. They're spending money we don't have. There's, we're trillions in debt, you know, so forth. I mean, there's all kinds of problems. There's all kinds of complaints that we might have. But is it disobeying God to pay your taxes? No. Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And render unto God what is God's. Must there be Ten Commandments posted in the courthouse or in the school? As a citizen, you might say, yes. That's as a citizen. You're all citizens of this country. You might say, yes, because as a citizen, I want everyone to live under God's law because God's law applies to all of creation. It's not just, it's not just they don't have to be professing Jesus Christ though I'd like them to, but they do need to comply with God's law because God's law is given to all humanity. This is what, what is referred to sometimes as natural law. So as a citizen, you might say, yes, yes, it should. Put those Ten Commandments out there. But the Christian says yes or no, whatever. See, we live our lives as Christians regardless of what secular institutions will do. Maybe they put them out to be read, maybe they don't. Either way, we live our lives as Christians. God institutes leaders to keep civil order, to punish wrongdoers. But whether they are Christian or not, they are appointed by God for your good. And believe me, God has appointed many a non-Christian ruler in the the, uh, history of this world. There have been many non-Christian rulers. In fact, in the apostles' days, the Roman, Roman government did not post the Ten Commandments in their civil buildings. And yet we don't hear anything of the apostles saying, you need to get out there and lobby the Roman government to put those Ten Commandments out there in the, in the church, or the school, I mean in the school, or in the, uh, in the uh, courthouse, or, or anything like that. They don't talk that way. Why? We need to think about that. What, what is it? Why do they not do that? They don't advocate, they don't really advocate overtaking the worldly institutions. That's why. And impressing upon them the faith. That's not how the faith is propagated. Must we use the preferred pronoun of a person? In other words, she or her to refer to a man who has the delusion that he is a woman? Now, what does it mean to obey God in that situation? In the beginning, God created them male and female. 
Now, we don't want to be part of a lie. We have to think about that. We are not going to be part of a lie. At the same time, we recognize that a person in this situation, in other words, a person who is a man saying, oh, no, I'm a woman, call me she, her, we realize that they're suffering from a delusion. I mean, this is a, they, they have a delusion. It's, for example, by comparison, say someone comes along and says, I'm Winston Churchill. How do you respond to that person? I mean, on the one hand, you, you don't want to feed into the lie because it is a lie. They're clearly not Winston Churchill. They're, you know, Mike Jones who lives next door or whatever. But at the same time, they're suffering a delusion. I mean, you might even kind of say to them, hey, uh, Winston, Mr. Churchill or Sir Winston or whatever. I mean, he might, who knows? But you recognize the problem and you respond to it accordingly. I mean, we don't have to be crusaders out there saying, you're obviously a man. I will not refer to you as her. But then again, we do need to be careful that we're not being part, becoming part of a lie. And so again, I say, discernment. This takes discernment. We need to think about these things. We need to talk about these things. We can't just blow the, the trumpets and yell the battle cry of, we must obey God rather than men. Yeah, but obeying God, it's not always as clear cut. So we have to think about these things. But there's a, there's an underlying principle in all of this, which is the priority. And I go back to the, the apostles saying we must obey God rather than men. In what way were they trying to obey God? By doing what the angel said, by standing in the temple and preaching God's word, that salvation might come to people. That's the key. That is the focus of it. We, we don't go to someone and say, look, God made you a man. That's what you are. Yeah, I'm right. That's not the idea. The idea is... God made you a man. Now, if you're going to live in this way that is totally uh, opposed to God, you're actually like running toward a cliff and you're going to fall off and die and burn in hell. I don't want that to happen. So because of that, let me speak to you in love because I care about your soul. But that is the underlying focus of all of this is the salvation of the person. So if someone is deluded, well, we need to... Figure out how best to achieve the salvation of their soul. That's the main focus. With all this craziness around us, should we sell up maybe and move to some remote location where we can live peaceful lives confessing the faith without all of these confused people around us? Maybe, actually. I'm not going to say no to that. Maybe that's what we should do. I mean, and we have... Uh, a history, our Lutheran ancestors that came to this country, many of them left because it, the, the church in where they were coming from said, oh, we're going we're gonna to merge your, your Lutheran church with the Reformed church, and you're all going to confess this new doctrine that we're pushing. And they said, uh-uh, that's not how it works. The civil government doesn't tell us what, what the faith is. The scriptures teach us what the faith is. We have confessions. We'll, we'll take the confessions of the Bible, thank you, and you can keep your civil government. And so they, they left, and they left and, and came here. So maybe, I don't know. Again, it takes discernment. We have to think about these things, but we are living in a strange new world for sure. The point in all this is that each of us must do what is right by the gospel. We must 
use discernment. We should discuss these issues, seek counsel. Y'all can be discussing this, like on Sunday morning when you gather, when we have Bible study. You might pick up the phone and call me or call someone, you know, and just say, hey, I want to talk to you about this situation I have in my life. It's kind of difficult. My nephew has done this or my niece is, you know, or whatever it is. I mean, you know, we should talk about these things and, and let iron sharpen iron. What is the best way? But again, what is the focus? Proving that we're right, that there's only two genders, you know, that gender is really, gender is really just a construct. It's not really a real thing. It's biological sex. That's what God has created, male and female. But is that the idea that we want to prove to the world that we're right, that God is right? No, 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 no. Just like Jesus said, I could send 12 legions of angels to rescue me from, from this if that's what I wanted. But that's not what he, that's not the will of the Father. So God could, Jesus could return any time and put an end to all of this. So while he tarries, though, it's our responsibility to carry on this ministry that's been given to the apostles and to the church. The ministry of reconciliation. That's the goal. That's the focus. It's not about winning arguments. It's about winning souls. So we talk to each other. We let iron sharpen iron, especially in these very challenging times. Each of you has been enlightened by the gospel that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he died for your sins, that you are reconciled to God. Each of you has been enlivened by the Holy Spirit, which has been poured out on you in your baptism, in the sacrament, and in the very word of God, which you hear, which you read. So each of you has a duty to bear witness to the truth, truth with a capital T. Now, not all are evangelists. Not all are prophets. Not all are teachers. But all of you have the message of reconciliation, which, which has been entrusted to the church. Don't hide the truth under a basket. Just because we don't overtake institutions and convert them to Christian institutions... Which, by the way, you know, there's many a Christian institution which is as profane as any other. You know, you could go back and look at uh, Harvard or Princeton, you know, very uh, bastions of, of liberalism and, and anti-Christian uh, sentiment. Uh, and those institutions were originally Christian institutions. So just because we're not overtaking the, these institutions and Christianizing them, it does not mean that we cannot continue to speak the truth, to bear witness to what? To bear witness to the resurrection. To bear witness that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And what's more, that by believing in his name, you have life. That is what we're called to bear witness to. That's what we must do. And that's what it means to obey the word of God. It's to hear it with faith, to believe it, to live your life Believing and confessing that. That is the very word of God, that Jesus Christ has died for your sins, that he's risen from the dead, that he's ascended into heaven, that he sits at the right hand of God from whence he will come to judge the quick and the dead. That's the truth that we confess. And we confess that truth, whatever befalls us. Are you afraid to suffer dishonor? You will suffer dishonor. But think about the apostles and their confession. They were beaten don't you love it? G Gamaliel stands up and is like, look, 
need to go easy a little bit here. If Jesus is the Christ, eh, if he's not the Christ, don't worry, this thing's going to fizzle out. But if he is, you're going to be seen as standing opposed to God. So what did they do? All right, fine, we'll let him go, but we're going to beat him first. So they beat the apostles, and then they turned him free. And what did the apostles say? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the dishonor for the name of Christ. Yes. Lord, let us be worthy to suffer dishonor for your name. Are you? I mean, are you worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus? May God, the Almighty, grant you and me, and me too, that confidence to obey him rather than man, to put aside the demands of this pagan and corrupt culture and to take up the cross. If you're dishonored a thousand times, For the sake of one soul that is saved, that's worth it. And remember that those who you interact with, including when you're in the face of opposition, your enemies, remember that Jesus loves your enemies too, just like he loves you, just like he loved all of us when we were enemies with him. That's what it means to be reconciled. It means to be to take someone who is an enemy of God and to say, you are no longer an enemy of God. You do not stand under God's judgment, but you stand under his grace, saved and redeemed by the blood of Christ. That's what it means for an enemy to be reconciled to God. So think about that. The people that you stand opposed to Now, this is all so much easier said than done. To love your enemies is difficult, especially when they are persecuting you. So you pray for the grace of God. You pray for the wisdom that you can pick and choose the right words, that you can speak the right word in season and out of season, that you have the confidence. And when you reach a situation where it's tough and you don't know what to say or what to do, let iron sharpen iron. Talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Talk these things through. Say, I'm bothered by this. I'm not sure what's the best way to deal with this. Don't blow it off like it doesn't matter. It matters. You're dealing with souls. Whether souls are saved or lost, that's what we're dealing with. So it matters. The last thing I want to say is that the apostles succeeded and failed. And every saint that we celebrate, not worship, but celebrate, every saint that we celebrate, martyrs of the faith, they stood firm in the faith, yet they also had their failings. Just like you, you also have your failings. And you might have that opportunity where you you think, oh, now is the time where I could speak the gospel to this person that I've been desiring to have this opportunity, and you blow it. And you miss the opportunity. So be like Judas and go hang yourself. Okay, that's sarcasm. No. Just reflect on that. Jesus Christ died for all of your sins. You see, it's not fear of God's wrath that motivates the church into ministry. It is the love of Christ for his bride, the church. That's what motivates us into ministry. Do you want to share the good news with others? 
Don't do it out of fear. Do it out of love. Because God in Christ has loved you in this way. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.